0: Uh, Rich morning already, isn't it? So good. Well, happy to be with you guys this morning and so grateful for all the new college students that are visiting today. I know that by now we've got everybody in school, right? We've got... Elementary schools and high schools and colleges are up and running and going, so since we, you did five days of school, I thought we would do a little bit of school this morning. How's that sound, all right? I'm going to need a little crowd participation for this one, and um, we're going to do a word association game that I think everybody should do fairly good at, okay? Just yell out, what, when you see this, what, what is this right here, all right? Good job, 100A+, plus. good job. All right, what is this right here? dear, I heard a buck, you get extra credit. That's great. Okay. All right. We all know what a big 12 champion looks like, right? Right. Just thought I'd get you ready for Saturday. Big game coming up here. All right. We all know what a national champion looks like around here as well. Right. Got to be a part of that. If you were at church last week, you learned what Tom Cruise looks like. So if you missed that, you can go back and get the uh, message and learn about that. Thank you. All right, help me, help me with this one. What would you say this is, this next thing? Across, that's right. One final one. What is this? Christian, right. What is that? Like, we can pronounce that pretty good. Good job, a lot of good spellers in here. But I had the thought, if I put you all in groups of five and said define this and report back in, how clear would all of our answers be? Like y'all didn't wait. That's a loaf of bread. That's Tom Cruise. I mean, y'all were very clear on all of those things. But when I say this, some of you might go, oh yeah, that's me. And someone else might go, well, I don't know that that's me. That's why I'm here today. Figure out what that's all about. We're so glad you're here. And someone might go, Well, can you define what that is first in your mind before I sign up and say, that's me? Like, we might all find ourselves having a different idea of what this looks like and what this entails. I mean, I encountered this type of discrepancy years ago. My father-in-law is a diehard University of Georgia alumni. So he took me to a Georgia Georgia Tech football game, my first SEC game. And these SEC fans are rowdy, wild, so fun to be at this game and about, and while they're all wild, halfway through the first quarter, a wilder character walked in, and of course, he sat right behind us, and he looked like he walked right off the set of Duck Dynasty and came and sat with us at the game, except he's wearing this long detective coat kind of thing. It was kind of strange, and I just mean right at the beginning, he's like hitting us in the arm, and he's like, go dogs, you know, and he's just screaming, and We're like, yeah, you know, and he has this whiskey flask, he keeps pulling it out and he's like slamming it during the game. Go dogs, you know. Uh, The the girl on his arm looked like she had consumed a few adult beverages before she got there. And so they're kind of in their own little world. At one point I smell cigarette smoke and I'm like, isn't this a non-smoking area? And he is literally smoking and blowing it into his jacket as if his jacket had become an evaporator for everything around him. And then, go dogs, you know? And the, anyway, so the game comes down to the final play. Georgia wins in the final play. People are going crazy. He's punching us. Go dogs. And then, of course, I feel God say, why don't you share the gospel with him? <laughs> and I'm like, he's going to high-five me, so he does. And I'm like, hey, man, what's your name? And I know this kind of weird to ask in a football game, but um, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And so I just said, you know, I, don't, I know it's weird, but just has anyone told you about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Young ears, I'm sorry. I quote, he looks right back at me, doesn't hesitate and goes, hell yeah, I'm Southern Baptist. <laughs> Guys, I don't go speechless very often. <laughs> I was 100% stumped. I just kind of high-fived him and I just walked off. And my father-in-law was laughing uncontrollably. He still loves that story. He still thinks that's the funniest story in the entire world. So you can understand why I would say there might be a little bit of confusion around what we mean by that word. Because to one guy in Athens, Georgia, it means he's Southern Baptist. To you, it might mean something different. And while I'm thankful for my Baptist roots that I grew up with, we might all wonder, what do we mean by this word? But let me tell you this, in Jesus' day, it was crystal clear. Everyone knew what it meant in their day. And I think it can be clear for us as well. It's why we've been in this series called The Story of His Glory and what your part in it can be. And so when you walked in the door, you were given this card. Can you grab it for me if you would? Um, Because last week, Jimmy shared, and he did a great job of explaining, that we are a one, three, five, seven people. Say those four numbers. One, three, five, seven. This is kind of who we are as a church. If you're visiting today, you get a little glimpse of of who we are. And so he showed this little graphic. Hopefully we have it coming up here. And he explained this is the the story of creation, the story of our lives, actually. that It it comes and conforms to this one thing, Jesus, a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. He said that's our one thing. As he talked about, here we are in 2022 in this time before the end of time, whenever that'll be. This is where we are in the journey that we're on. We would say that there's three things we wanna be about in this space right here. We wanna be a people who encounter God, who disciple others and live on mission. These three things, they're the, the basis of what we do as a church. It's like our budget. Like if it doesn't fit in those three things, we don't do these things. Like this is all about who we are. And so if you come back in a couple of weeks, we're gonna do a, a start a new series about encountering God. I hope you'll come be a part of that. If you're wondering about the mission of God, how to be involved with it locally or globally, or how uh, Antioch plays a part in that. We've constructed a new mission wall right out here in our lobby, and you can go watch the videos, download the QR codes, and learn how you can be a part of the mission of God um, around the world. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And since those two things have been, are going to be covered uh, pretty well, I'd like to spend some time on that middle word, disciple. And we're actually going to look at three very familiar passages. If you're a, a Jesus follower, you probably know these passages that we're looking at. Um, but I think we may, underst- we may understand why that word is a little confusing to us, because the word Christian in the New Testament, it's only used three times. The word disciple is used 268 times. So maybe that's the word that we need to dig into a, a little bit more this morning. And so that's where we're going we're to go. And one of those times that we see that word being used is in Matthew chapter four. And it's actually in the heading when it says Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out the fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, how many of you have heard this before? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, very important, Zebedee, and they were preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people." Now, like I said, at first glance, I bet a lot of us have read this, we know this, and and we love this. Um, But this verse has come alive to me in a new way, because as some of you know, I was on a sabbatical this last year, and one of the things that I did was I reached out to a local Jewish rabbi who oversees one of our synagogues here in town, and I said, I've got a lot of questions, I just wondered, would you meet with me? And he has been so gracious, and he and his wife... Uh, He's Rabbi Ben Zion Langsner is his name. And Rabbi Ben's met with me multiple times and my wife. And he's invited me to come to things in the synagogue and in the city. And he just allows me to pester him with questions. He is such a gracious man. And so as we've done this, and we even did this last week, I sat him down and said, okay, What was a rabbi in the first century? What is it now? What is a disciple? What is it now? He was born in Israel. This is a a part of his roots and his history. And I've just begun to, to get fresh meaning around this and begun to see that the idea of discipleship was baked into the dough of Jewish society in the first century. Didn't even start there, really. You have to go over to Greek culture and find that Aristotle had a, he was a disciple of Plato. It was all in Greek culture. It moved across the Mediterranean over to northern Israel. And you have now these Jewish people who have a very clear pathway of what they want their people to come up through. And if you'll just allow me just a moment to explain this to you. Passages like what you just read might pack a brand new punch, especially if you've read it before and and heard it a lot, et cetera, okay? So there were basically three schooling options for uh, Jewish children, both boys and girls. They would start in a grade school, it was called Beit Sefer, okay? Forgive me if you speak Hebrew and I blew that, but that's as close as I could get. They would start at about five or six years old. Um, they would learn the Hebrew alphabet, um, and then they would begin to study the Torah. That's why Beit Sefer means house, oh, no, go back to the other one, Beit Sefer, house of the book, because they would study their Torah, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And by the time that they were 12 years old, some people say as early as 10, they had memorized most of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, so what have I told you? Come, join our children's ministry. By the time they leave, they will have this part all memorized by the time they get to our junior high. Like, we have a hard time reading a chapter of Leviticus, all right? They memorized the whole thing. Now, once they got about 10 or 12 years old, if you were a lady you would, be, you would move on and you would get married probably around 13, 14, 15 years old. That's the place where your schooling got capped, all right? Most men did as well. They would just go join their father and they would maybe join him in their, his industry like fishing or carpentry or something like that. But if you were the best and the brightest, you got to go to level two, Level two was Beit Talmud, or, or Beth Midrash, which means house of study. And they would be, be have, sit under a paid teacher, and he would do the rest of the work. It would go all the way through Malachi. And so this is where you would sit and do Q&A with your rabbi. He would grill stuff into you, and he would make sure that you had the, the, New, the Old Testament almost memorized. This is why Jesus, when you read, and he would say things like, you have heard it was said— or it is written, they could usually finish the sentence for him because it was that much into them. And they would have this part totally memorized uh, or most parts memorized. Uh, Again, this is mostly for men. And they would uh, go through this to about 12 years old to 15 years old. It would end around the time they were 15. Again, for most people, it stopped there. But then there were the elite, the creme de la creme, the, the very lucky few who could find a rabbi and say, I want more. And if they were lucky enough, they could get an interview. And in this interview, the rabbi is going to grill them because he's trying to see, do you have the academic rigor needed? Do you have the emotional stamina? Do you have the spiritual character? And he's looking through one lens. Can this one become a rabbi one day, which means teacher? Can they become that one day? And if so, then they would be so blessed to be able to hear these words, come follow me. And they would then come follow him and they would become the third level, which is called Talmid or be one of my Talmudim. Say Talmudim. Talmudim. Good job, you learned some Hebrew today. You'd be one of my Talmudim. And this was not just I want to learn what he knows, this is I want to become what he has become. So then if you're going to become what he has become, what is this going to require of you? What it's going to require of you is, from what I can understand, is basically there's four main goals of what a disciple would do at this point. The first thing is you would want to be with your rabbi at all times. You're going to leave your family. You're going to travel with him. You're going to absorb every bit of life that you can from this man, all right? Second thing is you're going to learn his teachings. Uh, A rabbi's teachings in that day were called a rabbi's yoke. And so this would be how he interpreted scriptures and you'd want to absorb it all remember it's an oral culture lots of illiterate people so you need to have all this memorized so that you can then quote it to others who are then going to memorize it so you had to be close to him in order for this to happen third you'd want to do what he did if he teaches you teach if he prays you pray like he prays if he heals the sick you go heal the sick why are you doing all this Because you want this to be so embedded in your life that you would be so lucky as to hear those coveted words, now you, go make Talmudim. You've arrived. It's your turn. You can do it. Go make disciples. And it was your honor. It was your privilege. But it was your duty now to repeat this process for others that were coming up through the grid. And if you had done this, this would not be like a year or two. This would probably take you about 15 years of being a Talmudim. So do the math. Start at 15. 15 years later, you're about 30 years old, which is the time that Jesus comes on the scene as a rabbi. Now, this is just the mentality of everybody. Like, I don't have to do a teaching this morning that says, what do you do after elementary school? You go to junior high. After junior high, you go to Like, I don't have to do that. Y'all just all know the way it flows. They just know this is the way it flows at that time. So with that in mind, Jesus comes on the scene. And then he blows their mind with your second familiar passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, okay? Here's what he says. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my Talmudim, This would have stopped people in their tracks. First of all, he's making a delineation between crowd and disciples. He's saying, people, I'm so glad you're around and you're near and you're listening, but there's a difference. There's the crowd that loves him and his teachings and maybe his healings and supernatural miracles, but they have not stepped and taken the plunge to become disciples. Disciples there was a Jewish blessing at that time, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning you're just so close to him that literally you're just covered in all of his life. It wasn't just metaphor, it was probably just a lot of dust too. And they had not made that jump, but they're welcome, they're hearing. And while they're hearing, men, women, children are hearing Jesus say the word, whoever. Now, if you're a spiritual leader sitting there, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, you gotta be a little ticked off. And you're going, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That's not the way it works. See, most of these people haven't passed level one. So they have to go do level two and then maybe we could let them into level three. Most scholars believe that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the reason they are fishing with their father is because they never made it past one. So they had not made it to Talmud. No one thought that they had what it took spiritually. So Jesus is coming and saying, they may not see you, but I do. I'm not waiting for you to turn into a certain age or to become a certain thing or to memorize a certain piece. I want to know, do you want to be my disciple? Ladies, there is no record prior to Jesus showing up on the scene of a woman being invited to be a Talmudim of a rabbi. Jesus is breaking major ground. I mean, I know we got a long way to go in men and women relationships. I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Jesus is breaking major ground. I mean, the disciples, people must have been like, yeah, but not the girls, right? And he'd be like, no, the girls, and let the little children come to me too. He's just screwing everybody up. They don't know what to do with it. This is what I love about Jesus. Do you hear he's calling you? You get an invitation. You're like, but I'm not a national merit scholar. I don't deserve to be at that school. He's like, yeah, you get to play too. And this wide open invitation to come be my Talmudim. Now, what do you have to do? Well, he continues on in the verse, and he goes, if you want to know, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, that picture you saw earlier, and follow me. Meaning, the invitation is high, so is the bar. And it's not just pray a prayer and get in. We don't see anywhere in Christianity where Jesus said, pray this prayer, you're good, see you in heaven. He was inviting them to a life of following, apprenticing, discipling under him. I love how the Amplified Version says this. It says he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering, or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Bar, just went up. Jesus is letting everybody know, I want you to come and I want you to walk with me. But this could cost you. Matter of fact, it will. Now, if you are in that crowd and you raise your hand and go, I'll be a whoever. If you will let women, I'll do that. Mary Magdalene's like, I'll do that. Samaritan woman, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. We know that Jesus didn't just have 12, but he sent out the 70 in Luke 10, two by two. He probably had more that were, that were close. Well, then what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Let's look at this, uh, that this, let's look at this uh, what they would need to do. They would say, well, let's be with Jesus. Makes sense, right? That's what everybody's doing. I gotta be around my rabbi. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna learn his yoke. Then I'm gonna do what Jesus did. Now pause right here. This is where I get pretty convicted, because like I was just in my office studying for this, and I just kind of flipped over to the Gospels and threw a few pages down. I started writing stuff down. I was like, "Wow! Like, if we're all in this journey, if we say we're Jesus followers, then this this would just be a handful of things that we would do." All right, take a look. Jesus loved prayer, so it would be said of us: we loved prayer. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus went to the synagogue. Jesus cast out demons. How's that one going for you this week? (laughs) Jesus confronted injustice of his day. He made disciples. Jesus forgave his enemies. Jesus taught the scriptures. Jesus showed compassion for the hurting. He wept with those who were weeping. He, He would abide in his father couldn't do anything apart from his father, wouldn't move without his presence. He fasted a very long time and the man could eat. I mean, come on, we got, this is, we got to get this one in us too, all right? Like he was called a glutton and especially because he, and he was pretty shady because he would eat with people that, that were far from God and they were like, why are you doing that? So these are just a handful, which means that those things would be in our life if we say he's our rabbi. You, you following me here? You see how this is just kind of cutting edge stuff. This is, this is really, this is really challenging for me. Because then if you continue on and you see that then these disciples who would sit there and be like, okay, we're going to stand here. And one day we call it Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. They didn't have Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. They just had a guy named Matthew who was standing there and then wrote it. And we put some chapters and verses because he heard Jesus say the words every Talmudim wants to hear. Now you're ready. Go make Talmudim yourself. Go make disciples. Like, do you see Matthew 28 in here? This one just made sense to them. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is just who Jesus was and what he was calling us to do. Time out. One of the things I've always wished I had was a time machine. That's my number one thing. I wish I had a time machine to go back in time. What if we just took 12 random American Christians and we sent them back and they got to stand on the mountain in Matthew 28? Jesus, eventually, Acts 1, he goes up and they arrive on the scene. And they're like, wow, he went up. And they get to meet Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Peter's like, y'all are from the future? Yeah. Do we die or does this thing keep going? (laughs) Oh no, it really kept going. It did. The Romans didn't snuff it out. They couldn't snuff it out. Well, tell us, what does it look like in your day to follow God? Uh, Glad you asked. We circled up with a group of five of us. Church last week, this guy was talking. He said... We should think about it. We did. We looked at our lives. I, I'm just going to kind of say, maybe they would start by saying, what would they possibly say? We have another quadrant of stuff you, they might say. We want to be good people. The goal is to be more good than bad. Really want to make sure that if you can, you go to church. Uh, good Christians also, you know, they read the Bible when they can. Busy. We're very busy in the, two, in the 21st century. Um, and uh, one guy in Athens says we're supposed to be Southern Baptists. <laughs> Or or fill it in. This could also be what we're not. We're we're not Buddhists, so I guess that means we're Christians. Can you imagine the blank stares from Matthew and Philip, Thomas? They're like, you you prayed a prayer one time? That's what it means to you? This would have absolutely floored them. Why? They have no category for it. There's two categories. Talmudim, non-Talmudim. Talmudim, I am looking to live my life as Jesus would live live my life if he were I. That's the goal. Non-Talmudim, any other goal? There was no other category, but sadly we live in a society that has created another category. I think it was around 2016 Gallup did a poll and in the poll, they asked how many people in America identified as Christians? I thought it was interesting to note that about 75% of Americans identified as Christians. I wonder if that number's changed since 2020. I would assume it has. But then there were all these other independent polls that went out to do digging into that 75%. And their conclusion was that only 8% of those 75% were truly following Jesus. Now, great question. What are their metrics? I have no idea. I wish I knew. I don't know, and if you don't believe numbers like this and you're rolling your eyes, that's fine. Bump it up to 15%, 20%, 40%, 50%, whatever you wanna do, that's fine, that's not my argument. My argument is, can we all agree that somehow there's a discrepancy between what it means to follow Jesus, what it doesn't? So we created another, bound, another category and put a few things in there and said, if I look a little bit like that, I'm good. And the disciples of the 21st century would have been like, I, I don't even know what to do with this conversation. Why I love what the late Dallas Willard says. He's a pastor, an author, a philosopher. He said, The greatest issue facing the world today, think about all the great issues that are going on in our world, enormous issues, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. Steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. An apprentice—that should change your mind. Like if someone said to you, "How's your apprenticeship of Jesus going?" They asked me that this this year. Someone asked me this year, and I was like, uh, "Give me a minute." I hadn't heard that language and it began to wreck me like I guess an apprentice is like a medieval knight, like I'm following him around carrying his armor and I want to fight like he fights. All of a sudden I was like, is that the way I do for live for Jesus? And began to realize, especially when I hit some harder walls this last year, I was like, I mean, there's some parts of me that the apprenticeship of Jesus has not impacted. Thank God I've got a lifetime to figure this out (laughs) because I need him to come. And I I want my discipleship of Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus, to infect every part of my being. I love this quote. Can we go back to that last page um, that we just looked at? Steadily learning from him. That just encourages me. Like, I don't have to have this all figured out today. But I'm also not just sitting back lazy, I'm on a mission to, to learn and to live with him. This is, this is my life, is to be with him. So, you know, this week I was trying to learn from him. There's, just to be honest, I had a lot of opportunities to worry this week. Anybody else, just a lot of worry this week? And if you said, Jesus said, don't worry, how'd you do? I'd be like, not good, you know? Just constantly find myself going, Lord, I just, I give everyone and everything to you. I don't want to worry. Because my apprenticeship to Jesus, I'm, I'm learning not just to do what he did, I'm trying to become who he became, trusting in my father. We're addressing students a lot this morning. Students, y'all deal with things that in our world, our generation, we didn't deal with. It's never been easier to cheat than it is right now. Cell phones change the game. Just text your answers over, Google changed the game. But it'd be a totally different scenario if students were apprentices of Jesus and they were like, yeah, but I'm learning from Jesus to live my life is he would live my life if he were I. Can you imagine, students, how that might change the way you approach class, time? If, because that's what apprentices do. Can we just all read this together? One, two, three. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would lead my life if he were I. That's different. That's different than... I'm trying to do more good than bad this week. Fresh start, coming to college, they don't know my past, I'm just gonna be a better person. This is a a completely different approach. And again, the beauty here is that he's not just asking you, go do some things to be better this week. He's saying, I'm inviting you into a process. I I, I love the Galatians chapter four, verse 19. This is where Paul says, he's telling them about this process. He says, my dear children, meaning you're living in an atmosphere of love, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, like that is a process. Hey, I've been there. I know I've been there. Okay, You're like sorry, you know, like I know. Until Christ is formed in you, like this is going to be a process. There's going to be months of, of of formation and then pain of childbirth. It's going to be a process. But Christ is going to be formed in you. Not you'll do some things, but you will have Christ formed in you, and this will be a process. For who? If anyone wants to be his disciple. For whoever wants to be his disciple. Now, we as a church understand that this is not always easy. We've done our best to help create a culture of discipleship here at our church because this is our aim to reflect the beauty of Jesus. We actually have our own quadrant that we do, um, that we offer, that we want you to be able to take part in so that you can see your apprenticeship of Jesus, your discipleship of Jesus, go um, into the, the next level. And so I want to take you into that right now. Um, we can Move that up real quick. Nope, not that one, the quadrant. Here we go. So one of the things we offer is mentoring, where people who are older can pour into younger or wiser, or people who've one step ahead of you in a stage can, can, can meet with you. We call it kingdom mentoring. If you're a man, you can sign up for this at the Connect Center and find out more information about what it means to be mentored. Um, if you're a woman, we have kingdom mentoring for women. Actually, the deadline to sign up to be mentored is September 1st. You can find out more information on our website because we want people to be sitting with others and be able to feel like they're learning and going to the next level. We have intensives that we do on a regular basis, like our discipleship school that just launched this last week. Students will meet nine months just saturated in Jesus so that they can reflect his His image to the world. We do something else called Life U. That's what you saw a second ago. This happens on Monday night, about seven weeks or so. And uh, Life University will kick off September 19th. Uh, we're doing one about how to, how to parent your adult children because we know that people say, I need discipleship in that. Um, I'm going to do one for people that just, it's been on my heart just as people have come to me and just said, I feel stuck spiritually. I used to be so fired up for God or I just need something. There must be more. And so I'm calling it Pause: Spiritual Renewal for Busy People. And we're going to meet on Monday nights for about seven weeks and then 6 to 7.30. So you can get home and watch Monday night football or whatever else that you do. But this would be a a short intensive to give you an opportunity for discipleship. Okay. Another way you can go back to the quadrants here that you can do this is through evangelistic lifestyle. Like Jesus had Matthew with him. He had people with him that were far from God. This does not come natural to us for the most part. So we need, we need help in doing this. So we actually have a conference we do every year called World Mandate. Anybody been to World Mandate? World Mandate, you can actually scan the QR code, find out more about it. It's coming up here in, in, in October. But we ask God, give us your heart for people who feel far from God around the world who need a touch from God. And this is a way that we're discipled into carrying God's heart. But back to that quadrant again, the, the, the bulk of the way that we do discipleship at our church is through peer-to-peer relationships. Our life groups are where this happened, where people can share vulnerably, and they can share about what's going on in their heart. They can be challenged to be what? Talmudim of Jesus. More than anything else, this is where we want this to happen. Our verse that we get from this is um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We want to see every person in our church have another piece of iron, and you know, um, this week has been a tough week for a lot of people in our church. And Jimmy talked about last week, and we took some time to pray for the Martin family as they lost their beloved father and husband Jonathan 43 I mean Jonathan Martin, 43 years old, and uh, we was at the funeral on Thursday and uh, Jimmy did a great job leading, and all of his, a lot of his friends got up and they shared a lot of stories. There were eight of them, so we we were there about twelve hours, um, and it was it was worth every minute. But the last person was Scott Mellon, and Scott, his wife both shared, and they've been life group leaders here for a long time. They'd known him for so many years, and I'll never forget he shared about how. Jonathan would always bring up deep topics and conversations. The problem was he had already thought through all of his answers. So he was ready to to come with his thoughts, but he wanted you to discuss it. And he was like, he would talk forever and we'd start talking. And then you would, to be with Jonathan, this is his phrase, was to be sharpened by another piece of iron. And and Scott said, you had two choices. You were either going to walk away from Jonathan and reject what he said, or you were going to be sharpened to be a better father, a better husband, and a better follower of Jesus. And just, you know, through the grief said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss my piece of iron. And something just struck me that day and said, man, what a gift those eight people had. To have deep relationship that can go to those, those deep levels and say, that's who we want to be about. You see, for us as a church, that's what, that's what we want to be about. So this isn't like, do you have an accountability partner so that you can like, or have a mentor? It's not something you're checking off a resume It's an intentional decision you make in your life so that the very deeds and personality of Jesus becomes effortlessly lived through you. That's really our desire. And on that quadrant there, you know, you you saw over that left side, intensives and mentoring. We'll do that sometimes, but this, we want to be all the time about this. But let's go back to that other quadrant, quadrant two. What was that quadrant of look like? What was so clear to the disciples? that they would want to be with Jesus, and that they would learn from Jesus' teaching? Does it make sense now why Jesus said, "Come to me, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls." And they'd sign up and say, "I want that yoke. I want that man." I want to absorb it all. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to go and make disciples of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. As you look at this, where's the Holy Spirit highlighting you? It, you don't get to pick one box, by the way, it's one box. But I find in different seasons the Holy Spirit tends to highlight one or the other. Lean into this right now. Which one could he be highlighting to you? I'm just going to take a guess that I bet most people went straight to this box. And you're like, I'm going to do it. He got me stirred up. Okay, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to walk out of here, fast, feast, cast out demons. This is my week. Like, I'm going to take it up a notch. And again, if God did highlight that, I I hope that you'll take that seriously and and lean into what he's told you to do. High invitation, high challenge. But I also want to say that if the goal was not for you to take all of those 12 things I just said and say, go get those done so that you can be a better Christian. That the goal of all of this would be that we would behold Jesus in such a way that the very inner workings of our life begin to be transformed like a mirror then that we reflect him. Like that old couple at 80 years old that all of a sudden we're like, they look exactly alike. What happened? Like there is something that happened as they beheld one another and they are now been transformed into their image. And Jesus says, I am looking forward to a lifetime of apprenticeship and relationship and discipleship with you where your inner working changes to reflect Jesus. So as we wrap up, I'd like to read this verse over you in 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. And it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord we are being transformed into the same image. Like, let this blow your mind for the first time. Be transformed into the image of Jesus. For those of us that feel like we're at Bait Zephyr level, Jesus is like, you could be transformed into my image. No hoops to climb through. Just behold me from one degree of glory to another. I love that not from trash to glory, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is his spirit, meaning you can't go do it. It begins with him, it ends with him, and so we stare at him. So what I'd like to do is just kind of end by all of us just looking at this image of Jesus. So many different images online of who Jesus is. I'm sure you might have a favorite. This was drawn by an eight-year-old girl who kept having visions of Jesus from the time she was four. Her parents were atheists at the time, but she just finally drew out what she saw. More times than once, I've handed this out to people and say, "Just stare at it this week. Put it next to your Bible, just stare at it. Look into his eyes. Who condemns you? Not those eyes. A lot of us follow God as Jimmy said last week. We follow him because we love him. We think he's worthy but we don't know if he loves us. Stare into those eyes because those eyes love you. They don't just love you. They like you. They enjoy you. These are the eyes looking at you saying do you want to come be my Talmudim? My apprentice? If so, let's behold one another and just be transformed. And so as our guys come forward here we're just going to leave this image up and I want to encourage you even as the song plays if you know the song feel free to sing along just stare at his image and maybe this is a a place for you to say I want my apprenticeship to Jesus to go to new levels this year and let's start now and if you've never signed up this might be where you say I really I want to know that Jesus Stare at that image. You and Jesus. apprentices, disciples, Talmudim saying, we love you with all of our heart. And that's the call for us this week. We're gonna keep praying that prayer, but would you do it as you stand to your feet? And as you stand to your feet, our ministry team is gonna come to the front because it could have been that one of the things we just shared about one of those sections of one of those quadrants got your heart and said, I just wanna step into that and I need prayer or, or I am one of those ones that needs physical healing and I need someone to pray with me for God's power to touch me and you need to come to the front and it may be that you're not a follower of Jesus but after hearing that you're like I want to I'm willing to believe he's the son of God he's the Messiah he died on a cross he came back to life and I don't want to just pray a prayer I want to be his apprentice his disciple for my life and if so you might just pray something along these lines right now Lord Jesus I surrender all. I'm the whoever. And if you'll have me, I am yours. And I will take up my cross and I will follow you for the rest of my life. May of those friends right now just experience the washing of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of their sins and the power of God in Jesus' name. And so if you're one of those people, would you come and talk to some of our friends here to get prayer? Some of you just are moving. Our friends are just willing to love you and pray with you. But it may be that you just need to pray this prayer. Like this song is a prayer back to your rabbi, to your teacher, to your friend, to the lover of your soul. I am devoted. I'm all in. There's no middle category for me anymore. So as you come, or as you stay there and pray this prayer, let's make this the the cry of the apprentices of Jesus.